If you've got your Bibles, open it up. Uh, if you're using the chair Bibles, we're going to be on page four, 982. Uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. This is our last sermon on the book of Philippians. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's just what it is. As we've been looking at this letter from Paul to the church in Philippi, one of the biggest themes has been joy. How do I find joy? Where is my joy found? And in this last section of Philippians, Paul is going to talk about something that honestly does not bring me a lot of joy. And that's money. In fact, I think when most of us think about money, things like stress and anxiety and fear and not feeling like we have enough come to mind. Really anything but joy. And I think there are some who would say, if you can just collect enough, you'll find joy. But Paul is going to be quick to say that, that, is, that nothing could be farther from the truth. The difference is, is we can find joy when we really understand what God wants us to think about money and what God wants us to do with the money he provides. And so as Christians, we believe that Jesus is both our Savior and our Lord, meaning that he is king over every aspect of our lives. And so what it means for us is we need to have a Christian understanding of money. And when we understand it the way that God intended us to, and when we use it in the way that God tells us to, then it can be a source of joy. And so if you're following along, we're, we're going to be looking at what God says about money and what we should do with it and how we should think about it. And if you're following along in your bulletin, you're going to see there our big idea that we can have joy when we use our money as an act of worship to God. We're going to explore what that means this morning. So first, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. And the first thing we're going to see is joy in providing for needs. So follow along as I read the verses will be projected on the screen there. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Paul is sending a letter to a church that supports him as a missionary. Now you think about our church here, we have a budget, and as a part of that budget, we support missionaries in the States and overseas. And no, I did not plan this sermon to be the week after missions conference, so that credit goes to God on that one. But Paul was on their missionary budget. 
He was one of their supported missionaries. And they, in turn, provided for his needs by sending him gifts and money. And look what he says there in verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So anything he receives from the Philippian church as a supported missionary of that church is a sign of their concern for him. They are taking the money that they have, and because they love Paul, and because they love the work that he is doing among the nations, they provide for his needs. And so right off from the beginning of this passage, we see that joy can be found when we give our money to care for the needs of others. That there is an act of love when we share what God has given to us to provide for the needs of others. They found an opportunity and showed their concern for him. A couple of things this says to us. Number one, this immediately kills any idea that if I gather money to myself, I can just gather enough to find joy in the amount of money I have. Because joy is found when we give to others. And this is something we have seen throughout the book of Philippians, that when we care for others, that when we are focused on the needs of others, that is where we find joy. Again, the lie is if I just take care of me and I put myself in a little cocoon, I'll finally be happy and nothing could be further from the truth. There is an others-centeredness to joy. That you can experience real joy when you care for someone else. And the Philippians, one of the ways they do that is by providing a financial gift for their missionary. It changes how we view giving. It changes how we view supporting missionaries. That when we support a missionary as a church and as individuals, we are loving them and finding joy in demonstrating love to others. Again, it's not through just stuffing as much money in our piggy banks as we can, but it is using it to help others. And then it can be a source of joy. But why would we want to do that? See, quickly it becomes a heart issue. Quickly it becomes, what, what in my heart would make me want to give the money I've worked hard to get away? And again, if you're following along with your outline in the bulletin, I want us to see that there's joy in contentment. Look at verses 11 to 13. 
Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Central to a Christian's understanding of money is being content in what God gives us. Because if I'm not content, I won't use it the way that God has called me to use it. Because I am convinced that that using our, our talents and our gifts and, yes, our money, it must come from a heart that is right before God. And when it comes to using our money in the way that God wants us to use it, it must come out of a heart of being content. And so Paul shares sort of autobiographically here that he knows what it's like to have a lot and have a little. Look at how he says that. For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He's helping them understand. He has been, there have been seasons where he has not had much money to provide for his needs, and there's been times where he's had plenty. But in either case, he acts the same. One of the things we need to understand about the money that we have and the resources that we have is that the amount of resources that we have should never change how we live. I act like a Christian when I'm poor, and I act like a Christian when I'm rich, and everywhere in between. I don't change how I should live based on the amount of money I have. Money doesn't All right, so you needed to pay attention to that last sentence. (laughs) Listen, it's a heart issue. And the Christian is someone who is content with what they have been given. And who we are And what we do doesn't change depending on how much money we have. I don't act, I don't get to act less Christian when I have less money. And I'm not more Christian when I have more money. I live out my faith and I speak the truth about Jesus no matter how much money I have. 
and I trust God in every circumstance. It begins in the heart. And the Christian heart concerning money and resources is one of being content. So how do I grow in being content? This is where verse 13 comes in. And notice, this is one of those verses that can be very easily misquoted. (laughs) But recognize the context of this verse is being content. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This verse does not necessarily mean I can play pro football. (laughs) What this verse means is that the Holy Spirit strengthens and empowers me to live a life of contentment because it's not easy. And I need Christ to strengthen me, to give me resolve To not worry whether I have a lot or a little. To not find my worth in how much money I have or don't have. But that the Spirit of Christ empowers me to say, whatever amount of money I have and resources I have, I will be content. And see, then... The Holy Spirit is controlling us, not our money. When we rely on the strength that God gives through his spirit, I'm no longer controlled by the outward circumstances. I'm controlled by the spirit. And so I don't find my strength in how much money I have or don't have. I find my strength in the spirit of Christ that lives in me. After this, after, after looking at the heart condition, Paul then moves on to help us take that next step in what do we do with what God has given us. If I'm content with what I have, now I'm ready to use the resources that God has given to me for what he wants me to do. So let's look at verses 14 to 17. Because through what God has given us, we can join in gospel partnership and find our joy in the work God is doing here and across the world. Look at verses 14 to 17. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So as a church that sent gifts and money to Paul, they were partners in his ministry. Look at verse 14. It was kind of you to share my trouble. Again, when we think of 
financially supporting the needs of missionaries and ministry, we are actually sharing in the trouble and in the hard times that they are experiencing. And when we go through hard times, aren't we, aren't we always looking for, for someone to share it with so that we can endure? Again, it's more than just helping someone pay the bills. It is joining them in the good times and in the bad. Supporting them when they need it. Supporting them in the hard times. Again, it makes it bigger than just signing a check. No, when I help support someone who needs it, I am sharing their troubles and partnering in the work that they are doing. Look at verse 15. When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. And then in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So first he calls them partners. And then he says, listen, it's, the, the money's not important. What's important is the fruit. Look at that in verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So he's saying any work that I do, any ministry I do, you share in the bounty. When, when I share the gospel with someone and they believe and they are added to the church, you share in that. That is added to your credit. End of verse 17. So when we partner, think especially of our, our missionaries, when we partner with them, when they share the gospel with someone, it, in a sense it's like we're, we're sharing the gospel with them because we're providing for their needs. We're joining them in the hard times, but we're also joining them in the gospel successes that they have. We partner with them in ministry. Again, we can find joy when we give what God has given to us so that gospel ministry can increase. And we're partners with them. Now, interestingly, in verse 22, we get an example of the fruit that Paul has experienced. Look down in verse 22. This is the very, the very end of the letter. He's, he's saying, it's pretty much his saying goodbye. You know, sincerely yours, Paul. You know, love, Paul. Um, it's much longer than that, though. But look at verse 22. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. This tells us that by the time the book of Philippians was written... There were people who lived in the palace of Caesar in Rome. Now, this could refer to members of his family. It could also refer to servants. But either way, what we see is that the gospel is in the house of the person who thinks he's king. (laughs) 
To, to give you a comparison to our time, this would be a missionary letter that says, and the believers who work for the president of China greet you. They get to share in that fruit because they have partnered with Paul. And they can find joy that the gospel has reached Caesar's house. A place that probably many of them thought it would never get to. It's not like Caesar was really open to other religions. Caesar wanted people to worship him. So you don't really have, you know, oh yeah, come on in and tell me about another god. (laughs) But they share in the fruit that Paul gave. And so it's joy giving because we really do partner with others who are sharing the love of Jesus. But we don't do this just as something we should, something we have a duty to do. Because when we, when we think about our money in a way that God wants us to, when we use our money in the way that God wants us to, when we give, it's more than just the right thing. It's an act of worship to God. Look at verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. So again, he's saying, thank you for, for the gifts and the money that you sent. Then look at the second half. A fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. When we understand that God has blessed us with so much and we are content in what we have and we give to provide for the needs of others and we give to partner with those doing ministry where we are not able to do ministry, When we do that, we worship God with our money. Look how it's described. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The picture is of a sacrifice in the temple. And as the smoke goes up from from the offering being burnt. The picture is that the smell goes up. This is a common theme throughout your Bible. That the smell, that the smell of barbecue goes up to God. I mean come on, they were sacrificing bulls. It's gonna it's gonna smell like barbecue. So and that is a pleasing and acceptable smell to God. That's the picture. It reaches his divine nose up in heaven. It's acceptable because God, in the Old Testament, there was a way to do sacrifices and there was a way not to do sacrifices. If you didn't do it the right way, it wasn't accepted. But when we share our resources with others and provide for the needs of others, it is an acceptable sacrifice. It is an acceptable act of worship. This, by the way, is one reason we do offerings in the service. 
It's not so that people have practiced passing bags back and forth. That's not why we do it. We do it to remind ourselves that this is an act of worship. That we don't just worship through singing. That's one way. But worship is so much bigger than that. And one way that you worship God is how you use your money. God cares about how you use your money. And so do we want to, do we want to use it in a way that brings joy? Do we want to use it in a way that worships God? Then we need to use what God has given us out of a heart that is content and use what we've been given to meet the needs of others. Again, I hope that this changes how you view the offering we take. It's more than just keeping the lights on in the building. It's an act of worship to God. And notice he has said nothing about amount. There's nothing in here about how much you have to give to get it right. But what is in here is a heart that understands that God has provided what we need so that we can help others. And when we understand our money and when we use it in the way that pleases God, it is an act of worship to him. Paul ends this section with a foundational truth that undergirds everything he has set up to now. That I can worship God with my money by by being content with what God has given me and using it for the needs of others because I find joy in God's provision. Look at verses 19 and 20. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Undergirding all of what has been said up till now is the truth and the promise that God will supply everything you need. And he can because his bank account is always full. Look at verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God owns the entire universe and he will take care of you. He will supply for your needs. So to have a heart that's content begins with trusting the promise that God will provide for you. Giving to meet the needs of others begins with trusting God in his promise to provide for your needs. 
So maybe one reason you're not giving is a trust issue in your God. Everything goes back to what we think about God. And if he has promised to supply our needs, and we trust that promise, and we trust his character, then we will be content. We will give to meet the needs of others. We will worship with what he has given us. But it begins with trusting him that he really will provide everything we need. So the natural question becomes, do you trust God with your bank account? Do you trust God to supply your needs out of his infinite power and riches? It doesn't mean there won't be times like Paul said, where he was brought low. It doesn't mean there won't be times where he had need. But it's trusting God to provide for the needs that we do have. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So our understanding of a a Christian understanding of money begins with trusting God to provide for our needs. Let me close with a couple applications this morning. Let me say from the get-go, all of these, what I'm about to say in the context here is, is obviously talking about money, but this can apply to any resource we have, whether it be our gifts, whether it be our time, which is a very costly resource nowadays, and to our money and the things that we have. First, give to lovingly provide for others. Christians must be in the business of helping provide for others. Number two, give out of a heart of contentment. Don't let discontentment distract you from how much God has really given you. It is a diabolical sin because it is so easy to paint it another color. Well, I'm just ambitious. (laughs) Maybe. Or maybe you're not content with what you have and you don't recognize what you have. Cultivate contentment in your life. Number three, give to join in God's mission. Join the work of others by providing for their needs. Last week with the missions conference, I talked about this, that a majority of funding for missionaries and mission groups comes out of individuals. It used to be that a majority came from churches, but now the majority comes from individuals. So it is up to you as individuals to support God's work 
here and across the world. Number four, give as an act of worship. There's a certain weight and reality and seriousness to this when we view our giving and providing for others as an act of worship to God. And number five, give as you trust God to provide for your own needs. Maybe that's something you need to spend more time on. Do I really trust God to provide for what I need? And when we trust God to provide, it changes our minds and our thoughts and our actions. Sometimes it's a faith problem. Not that we don't have enough. And friends, when we view our resources and our money this way, when we use our resources and money this way, we can find joy. A joy that that doesn't change regardless of our circumstances. And when we help others, when we worship God, there is a deep joy that we can experience. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, challenge us today to use the money and resources we have for your glory. That we would use what you have so generously given to us out of your riches to meet the needs of others, to support the work of ministry and missions here and across the world. And God, that we would use our resources in a way that brings glory and worship to you. God, give us hearts that are content and grow us in our faith so that we will trust you to provide for everything that we need. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, I want to invite those who are helping to serve communion up at this time.